encourage you. Say it with me. Share the stream. That's right. Do more evangelism in 30 seconds than most people do all year. Just share the stream. It's pretty easy. It's not that hard. We're doing the Gospel of John. And uh, it's going to be a good story. We had a big pickup last week. It was really good. And hopefully you're getting something out of this. And so we're going to start here in the, uh, John's Gospel. We're still in the first chapter. It's going to take us a little bit of time, a few weeks, to get through the Gospel, the first chapter of John. Not every chapter is going to move this slowly, but John chapter 1 is like what's considered an epic chapter uh, in the Scriptures. There's a few of them, and John's got about four of them. Yeah? And so it's a pretty powerful book. And John chapter 1 is, and what, and without a doubt, in my mind, epic. So uh, we'll start in verse 6. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light. Everybody say it with me. The light. Right? So that through him all might believe. So he's telling us there's a man sent from John. John's reason for coming was to testify that people would believe. He himself was not that light, but he came as a witness to the light. This is the true light that gives light to everyone coming into the world. He was in the world, speaking of Jesus, and the world was made through him, and the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, his own did not receive him, but everyone who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the authoritative right to be the children of God. Sons and daughters not born of flesh and blood or of natural descent nor of human decision or of a, or of a man's will, but born of God. Right? So the Bible's introducing us to a person here. This isn't John the gospel writer. This is John the Baptist. And so John the writer, the apostle, is distinguishing John the Baptist from Jesus. So the earlier verses, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word of God, the word made flesh, right? And so Jesus is God. And now here he's saying, John's a man. Everybody say it with me. Jesus is God. John's a man. That's what he's telling us. And John the Baptist, he got his name is really John the Immerser, right? John liked to dunk people. And he was, uh, he was uh, a witness to the light. And in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, we're going to talk a little bit about John. If you really want to know John, Luke gives 20 verses to the life of who John is. So John isn't really explained. John the Baptist isn't really explained in the gospel of John, Right? Because if you remember last week, John, the gospel writer, John and John, John, the gospel writer, never takes his eyes off Jesus. And so John, the apostle, is not interested in John the Baptist. John, the apostle, is only interested in Jesus. And so the whole theme of the gospel of John is Jesus. Jesus. And, but in Luke's gospel, it tells us about John the Baptist, and it gives 20 verses. So we need to know a little bit about him. He's a son of a priest. His father's name was Zechariah. His mother's name was Elizabeth. Right? Both of them were right in the sight of God, Luke chapter 1 says, observing the Lord's commands and decrees with devotion. In other words, they followed the Lord. Jesus mattered to them. Their God mattered to them. But they were childless, and Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both everybody say with me, advanced in age. Right? That's a nice way of saying they're old. Right? That's pretty much it. And so John's father was part of the order of the priesthood. John's father was a Levitical priest. John was raised in a ministry house. 
And the way that John's birth came about was that his father was a minister, not just a Levitical priest, but he was most likely a Kohen. The Kohathites ministered and were responsible for the temple itself. So the priests had a lot of different duties, but there was a certain sect of them called the Kohathites, and the Kohathites ministered in the temple itself, right? So it's because John's father was ministering in the temple, it's most likely he was a Kohen, right? And so what happens is, is there's a tabernacle, say it with me, a tabernacle and a temple, right? Constructed with specific design and intent. So I want to show you a little bit about what John was doing and where he was doing it at and just give you a little bit of background. Some of you aren't familiar with your scriptures. Some of you are. Some of you aren't. And that's okay. We're all on a journey here. And so Alex, throw up the first slide. So what you're seeing here, we spare no expense to bring you the finest in visual aids, I will tell you this. In the book of Exodus and in the book of Leviticus, Israel comes out of Egypt. And as they come out of Egypt, God begins to lay down structure and order into their lives. And as he's laying down, how many knows we need structure and order, right? There's a lot of freedom. So what God does is he creates structure and order. And into the structure and the order, he says, have at it. Live free. But live free within the structure and the order, you know? That's what he's telling us. And so as God, they came out, God is establishing structure and order. He told them specifically how to design a tabernacle or a tent. He told them, I want you to build it like this. I want you to do it like this. But he also specifically told them how to camp, which is an interesting thing. He told them that when they set up camp, they were to set up their camp in a specific way. Does that look familiar to anybody? What does it look like? Right. It actually extends further south right, wherever Judah is, okay, so it goes further south, and so it actually had a very long tail on it, and so God told them, camp exactly like this, and put the tabernacle in the middle, what do you think he's trying to say? He's pointing to Jesus, he's pointing to the sacrifice, he's pointing, it's a prophetic pointing us to something that would come, and so what you see here is you see the camp of Israel, right, and here in the middle is a tabernacle or a tent, and in the tent is where they would come to worship, or where God's at that time abiding presence dwelled, it's called the Shekinah, or the Shekinah, right? And so the abiding presence of God would dwell with them in the tents because man was unredeemed. When you come to Christ, how many knows you're purified? You don't look purified, you don't smell purified, you don't act purified, but spiritually you're purified. Hmm? And because you're purified, you now can be the habitation of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is no longer in a tent, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory abides within you. Anybody with me? Yeah? We are the temple of the what? Come on. We are the temple of the what? That's right. He lives in us. And so this is a foreshadow of things that would come. Show the next slide. All right, so here's the tabernacle. So this is, like, if you're looking down at the tabernacle, this is like an overlay, like you're looking down. So when a priest would come into the tabernacle, they had to follow specific rules, they just couldn't come strolling in and do it any old way they wanted to. They had to do it in a specific way, and they had to do it in a specific order. So every priest, so when you would come, the priest would receive, the people were allowed out here, and the people were allowed out here. But only the priests were allowed in here, and only the high priest was allowed in here. But every priest, when he came to serve the Lord, they came through, say it with me, one door. Right? The tabernacle had one door. Do you know why? There's one way. Not multiple ways. There's not multiple doors. There's one door. 
And they would come, and the first thing they would encounter would be a bronze laver, or, or excuse me, a bronze altar. So the first place they would come through the door, and there would be the altar of sacrifice. So they enter to God's presence one way through sacrifice. Right? And they would have to make an offering. So every day when the priests would come, they'd have to make a daily offering. They'd have to come through one door, offer a sacrifice on the altar. From the altar, they moved to this second station, right? The second station is a laver. It's a wash basin, and it was made out of women's mirrors, if you can imagine, hand mirrors. And so when the priest would wash himself, before they would do a little cleansing, before, like a ritual cleansing before they moved forward, they would have to see themselves. So the idea of this is Jesus is the sacrifice, and this is sanctification, right? Most Christians never make it past the altar. Oh, they're saved, but they ain't sanctified because they never, take, they never take the time to look at the issues, not even in their life, but within themselves. And so they can't even make it and progress to the deeper places of God because they're all back here, clinging to the old rugged cross, right? The cross is the entryway to the kingdom, Christian. The path to glory, the path to the deeper places of God's heart and the deeper places of God's glory comes through sanctification, and sanctification isn't about smoking, drinking, and chewing, hanging out with those that are doing. That's not what sanctification's about. Sanctification is a life that is set apart from all things that don't belong to the Lord, and a life that is lived fully integrated. You're living your life fully integrated. Your time, your talent, your treasure, your body, your sexuality. I'm gonna look right at the camera. Your sexuality, fully integrated. Your money, not as the world says, but as Jesus says right? Huh? <laughs> if you get mad at me, I didn't write this stuff. Don't get mad at me. And if you are mad, ask yourself why. Ask yourself why. So we come through the altar, we come through the sanctification. We have to go through a process of sanctification, a setting apart, right? Then they come into the inner chamber. The priest would come into the inner chamber, and here would be an, a, a menorah, a candelabra, and it would be light. It would be filled with oil. represents the light of the Holy Spirit. It's telling us the pathway to deeper communion through Christ, through sanctification, communion with the Holy Spirit, allowing the glow of the Holy Spirit to be present with you. And when the priest would come into that place, they would check the oil, Right? Someone's like, oh man, I gotta check the oil in my car. You know, but no, you gotta check the oil on the lamp, right? They'd have to check the oil to make sure the lamp was burning and the lamp had oil and it was burning bright. So they would encounter the presence and the light of the Holy Spirit. This table over here was a table with bread on it, unleavened bread. There were 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of God's people, meaning I identify with you. Jesus is the bread of what? Right. Get the picture? And so there was a communion with the Holy Spirit, a partaking of the life of Christ, the bread of life, and then they would come before the veil and they would offer incense. They would offer incense. The Bible says incense is the prayer of the saints. Incense is the place of the deeper communion where you're now communing with God, not just asking God, but you're in a communal relationship with God. And how does the communal relationship come? through walking and believing and coming through the one way, through the sacrifice, through allowing God to, to, to clean out your closet and get rid of all the bones and all the skeletons and all the nonsense, right, and all the dysfunctions, not just the outward, say it with me, not just the outward dysfunctions, but the inward dysfunctions. We don't want to be whitewashed tombs full of dead people's bones. That's the Pharisees. They lived through an external righteousness, they had their whole life outwardly. You couldn't, you know, it's how Christians are. Bless God. Hallelujah, brother. You know, we speak Christianese. 
And if you talk to most Christians, you would never think there's anything wrong with them. Yeah? All we got to do is bring your kids up here, right? All the guys will bring your wife. All the women will bring your husband, right? The issue isn't just dealing with your externals. It's dealing with the internals. You're broken, and you need healing. You need restoration, and you need wholeness. You need to see what condition your condition is in, and you need to begin a process of undoing the things that have done you in. External righteousness and outward behaviors don't work. They're default positions for the Christian. I say it all the time, and somebody's going to get mad at me now, but that's all right. Jesus is a rock of offense. Don't take it up with me. Take it up with him. Discipline is the lowest level of discipleship. We try to live by discipline. Discipline is the lowest level of discipleship. It's management of externals. It's behavioral management. And that's okay. That's your default position. The highest level of discipleship is intimacy and relationship. That's where God wants to bring us. He wants to bring us not and keep us in this mode where we're all kind of locked down through discipline. You know, church is all into Christian disciplines. I and mean, now we're not even into disciplines. About 10 years ago, it was all about the Christian discipline. Now it's Narcissus, Jesus, right? It's all about you and your beautiful, unique face. And God is just infatuated with you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus, right? God's all on your plan. No, God's not on your plan. God's invited you to get on his plan. And when you get on his plan, he gets on your plan because he changes you. We seek first what? And what is right to God. And then everything comes, right? We don't seek our narcissistic self and ask God to come down and bless it. It's the, it's the message of the modern church in America. It's Narsa Jesus. That's who we preach. We preach another Jesus. It's Narsa Jesus. I'm just being honest with you. You say, is God not going to bless me? Of course he's going to bless you. He blesses you within the relationship. Do you understand that? The relationship of son to father, father to son. My father's a king. He can't provide for me. My father's a king. He doesn't have a vision for me. My father's a visioneer, right? My father's a creator. He doesn't have a creative way, but he's not blessing me and leading me and guiding me in my own means. He does it through the relationship. And because we're so externally managed, we guard that part of our lives from truly being exposed to who he is. Light becomes life, right? You're dysfunctional. Get over it. I had a gentleman yesterday talking to me. He's like, I just don't feel like I have what it takes. He's feeling overwhelmed. I said, good news. You don't have what it takes. Happy day. Get yourself a Cinnabon and a cup of coffee and relax. You don't have what it takes, but Jesus does, right? You're not meant to do it alone. You're meant to do it with him. It's a co-mission, a co-mission. We do it with him and in him. Without him, you can do nothing. In him, you can do all things. This is the idea. So it's to come through the altar, come through the, sac the, 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 the sanctification, come to the glow of the Holy Spirit. Most people want the glow of the Holy Spirit, but they're not sanctified, Right? sanctified in their mind, sanctified in their hearts, sanctified. Like, look, if you don't believe God's good and you don't know that you know that you know that God's good, you're not sanctified. I didn't say you weren't saved. I mean, you believe a lie that has enslaved you, right? Truth be known, we believe a lot of lies within our hearts because of the experiences that we've been through. Most traumatized generation in the history of the United States. 
One in three have been sexually abused. One in eight have witnessed violence between their mother and father. The list goes on. Most traumatized generation, probably in the history of America. I watched an interview with a bunch of pastors who've been doing it for a long time, and the one thing the pastors freak out on is that it, the church is super messy. It's messier than it's ever been, right? That's why pastors don't talk to you, right? They get up there, they preach, they get in their, they get in their minivan or whatever it is they drive, and they run off. They got their entourage around them. They're guarded and gated from integration with the congregation because it's messy. They want to be the rock star. One rock star and his name's Jesus, Christian. There's a reversion of what God wants. The Lord is giving birth to something new. It's not what we want. It's what he wants. Understand? The truth of the matter is, is it's messy. I'm messy. I tell people all the time, I'm not just, I'm not just the, 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 the leader of, the, of, of inner healing and deliverance. I'm one of the clients. Right? I take the red pill. I can tell you this road because I've traveled it. I can tell you this is real because I've experienced it. Come on. Come on. Sanctification is where most of us, you're in stall mode right now. You get in here and you do the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit can only minister to you to the level of the openness that's there. Many of you bow to alternate voices. I tell you every Sunday, you bow to the voice of the culture. The devil claims a right of subordination over you. You will never hear God because you have a covenant with the voices that you hear around you. This is another story. So the Spirit of God cannot speak because there's areas that are not sanctified within your heart. I didn't say you weren't saved. I didn't say you weren't loved. You are loved. I'm trying to tell you where the dysfunction's coming from and where the promise is not manifesting and why the promise is not manifesting. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So you come in the light and they go, and so you come before and then they would offer incense, prayer, devotion, honor, releasing, and beyond, and beyond that is the glory. The glory is the weight of God's goodness. That's what the word glory means, kavod. It means substance or weight of God's goodness. And so if we want the substance and the weight of God's goodness in our lives, we, he's, he's given us a map, literally. A map, a prophetic map. Most people, it's like right over their head, in one ear and out the other. You know, if you want the weight, how many believes you were created with a purpose? Anybody? Yeah, anybody? You're, I'm, if you don't know that, let me help you. You're created on purpose with a purpose. You're uniquely designed. You're, you're chosen in the generation. You're not just the chosen generation. You're chosen in the generation. But you can never manifest or bring that forward until you walk this path. Because the weight of God's glory, he shows us where it is. This is why Christians, it seems like they worship at different levels, yet all are loved. It seems they encounter God at different levels, yet all are loved. Huh? And this is where everybody's hovering. We don't understand sanctification. Right? <laughs> it's just truth. Another story, another day. So this is the temple. And what's happening in the temple, what Zacharias is doing is he's ministering. Zacharias, John's father, is going to have an encounter with God. And he's offering incense. For a priest to have the opportunity to offer incense was a huge honor. Right? The incense was a specific uh, formula that God gave them. And he told them, this formula is to be used for nothing else. Nothing else. And what prayer is, or what the Bible tells us in, in, in Revelation, that the incense is the prayer of the saints. You don't think your prayers matter to the Lord? He breathes them in. 
He creates, he likes, he likes to sit in the atmosphere of prayer. He likes it. He likes to be believed. He likes to be called upon. He likes to be looked to. We don't like to be looked to because we're dysfunctional, right? He loves it. My people do not call on me days about number, Jeremiah says. God's woeful reaction to his people. It's like, you don't come to me anymore. You don't talk to me anymore. You don't inquire of me anymore. And so what prayer is, prayer isn't just seeking God's hand. Say it with me. Prayer, prayer is not just seeking God's hand. It's seeking his face. And I want you to say this. There is a difference. <laughs> and it's also the offering of your life. All of me into you, Lord. All of me into you. All of you into me. It's a communalness. This is the atmosphere of prayer. Prayer and worship in the intimacy, when they're intimate together, they bleed into one another. Prayer becomes worship. Worship becomes prayer. Prayer becomes worship. Worship becomes prayer. Right? So we try to practice this. Our team's a little more spiritual, so you'll see them. They'll be worshiping, and they'll be praying. Then they'll start praying over you at the same time. Why? Because that's the ministry of the Spirit. It's not a performance. Right? We're offering honor to God, and then worship becomes prayer, and prayer becomes worship. Worship becomes prayer, and prayer becomes worship through the intimacy. This is what God wants. And through the intimacy, God begins to release glory. Anybody want glory? Good Lord God Almighty. If Jesus died to give me access to the glory, I want it all. Strip me down, take me apart, dismantle me, get rid of every broken part, replace which, whatever you got to do to me, Jesus. Whatever you got to do. Right? All right, throw the next one up there. So this was the tabernacle. This is the temple, right? This is the temple where Zacharias was, was um, ministering in. So what happens is, is it goes from a tent to a temple. In the time of David, David's, Solomon's temple is destroyed. This became the temple of Zechariah coming out of the exile. And then Herod, who was not a Jew, was the king of the Jews. I'm, I'm, I know I'm fire hosing you. I'm, I'm, I'm auctioning all this off right now. And so, but Herod, Herod was an appointed leader. He was the king of Israel at this time, but he was not a legitimate king. He was not of the line of David. He wasn't even of the line of Abraham or of the line of um, uh, Jacob. He was the line of Esau. He was an Edomite. He had no right to rule Israel. The Romans appointed him. Herod was an appointed king. He was not a Davidical king. It's important to know that. And the, and the Jews knew that. And so, but in order to try to please the Jews, Herod built this magnificent temple. Right? So he took the temple and he made it amazing. And this over here is Fortress Antonia. That's the Roman fortress. They put a fortress on there because the Jews were troublemakers. And it was usually during the festival time and the worship time that things got a little rowdy. Right? And so the Romans were always watching these guys for what they would do. This is called Solomon's Porch, right? So if you want to know where the early church met, the Bible says in the book of Acts, the church was meeting in Solomon's Porch, right? They were meeting in the temple courts, in Solomon's court Porch. People say the early church met in, the, met, in, met in houses. No, they didn't. They met publicly and they met in homes. It's not either or. So if you're out there believing that God, that the early church only meant in homes, you don't know what you're talking about. The church has always been and will forever be public worship. Public. In the middle of the city, proclaim Jesus. The likelihood of strangers or unknown people or people that don't know God coming into a place like this is much higher than them walking through the front door of your house. Just a thought. The odds of a bunch of Christians hanging out here and having a party and a worship service in the temple courts is highly likely to attract a few people going, hey, what y'all doing? 
What kind of worship's going on over here? Well, wow, you guys are dancing. You guys are singing. This is new, right? It would become attractional, and it would become inquiring. And so this was Solomon's porch. And so Zechariah is in the temple. Go to the next slide. This is a little, again, no spare, no expense. I didn't draw this, by the way. I just want to let you know that. And so this is Zechariah. This would be a priest standing before the temple or before the veil. So you can see the menorah over here, the, the candelabra, and then over here would be the, the table of shewbread, and the priest would be offering prayer before the Lord. And so while this is happening, Zechariah, you can put the, the other slide back up. The, there you go. And while this is happening, an angel of God appears. So while he's offering incense before the veil, boom, Gabriel's there, and he's like, good news, you're going to have a baby. Yeah, and first Zacharias freaked out, but then Zacharias scoffs, huh? He's, he's like, come on, you know? You know how old I am? Have you seen my wife? How many people like her are giving birth right now, huh? You mean to tell me this is going to happen? And, he, and Gabriel goes, it's going to happen because you don't believe. I'm paraphrasing. He doesn't actually say that, but the reason that he was silent is because he mocked the prophetic word. <gasps> <laughs> Maybe your life doesn't speak because you mock the prophetic word. Maybe your life doesn't speak because when God speaks, you doubt it. Just a thought, because you frame it in your own ideologies and not into his kingdom and not into what he says. And so the Gabriel's telling him this, he mocks it. And Gabriel goes, it's going to happen. And by the way, you aren't going to be able to talk until the baby's born. And you will call his name John. And so when John was born, you know, here's Zachariah sitting there mute with a tablet. He had a tablet because he couldn't talk. He had to write everything down. Nachos with cheese, please. You know, he had to write everything on the tablet, right? Pumpkin spice latte. He was going to Starbucks. Dad, we're going to Starbucks. What do you want? Pumpkin spice latte, right? And he's sitting there and the baby's being born. And when the baby's born, they never named it until they circumcised the child if it was a male. Do you understand? Because the name was a blood oath. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. The Moyers, the Moyers they would cut the, when they cut the foreskin of the child, they'd hold, they, you know, imagine this. It's a ceremony. It's like a ceremony, right? <laughs> Another story. Don't want to get into that. I'll take you down. I almost did it with my son, right? I was, but this is long ago. Because we were on the beach, and everybody's like, oh, you got to make sure, you know, and it's, it's another, another, another story. We never did it. But anyway, but when, but when, they, when they go to circumcise the child, they look at the father, and they said, what will his name be? Right? And then they'll say, his name will be Jesus, and they'll cut, the, they'll cut the foreskin. And the name becomes the identity and the blood bond upon the life of the child. Do you think names matter? Yeah. Right? And so John is getting ready to be born or getting ready to be birthed, and they're like, what do we name him? And they're like, well, we'll name him Zachariah because that's his dad's name, and he can't talk, so they're getting ready to do it, and John's like, his name will be John. And he starts talking right at that moment. And they were like, there's nobody in your family named John. And that's when he burst out and said that his name. And so John was named John. John was sent from the Lord. The Bible says there emerged. Say it with me, emerged. Right? The Bible uses the word, there came a man came from, there, 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 then came a man from God. It uses this word emerged. He just showed up. He just showed up. He just appeared. Right? When you follow the Lord, see, John, John was raised in a culture where he had ministry around him. His father was a priest. His family, he was, in, he was engaged. And people back then, if you were in that role, this wasn't a hobby. This was a lifestyle. 
right? It was what you are, who you were, the whole thing was all integrated. And I guarantee you, John's father was a different person after he started talking. The one who wasn't spiritual before suddenly became spiritual. The one who wasn't prophetic before suddenly became prophetic, right? Because he was mute. And so John was raised in this culture, and he uses this word para, which means alongside of, which denotes intimacy. So John emerged literally from the side of God. What is it talking about? John prepared himself. Everybody say it with me. He prepared himself. He learned how to draw near, and his purpose emerged. When's my purpose going to emerge, Jesus? When am I going to get my purpose? Right? When's that going to happen? When you've trained and equipped yourself, and when you've learned to draw near. John just showed up. He just showed up, right? But he was ready when he showed up. A lot of people show up, but they ain't ready. They ain't ready, right? The gift does, cannot precede the gifted one. A lot of people feel that they, Christians do this all the time, especially in ministry. I see it all the time. They get this anointing. They're like, oh, boom, shh. And they're ready to light the world on fire. And you can do that because the gift, but you're leaning on the gift. Eventually, you're going to have to draw on something. And if the well's not there, you have nothing to draw on. If you've not created the stores, the storehouse, and the processes with which you can draw from God, you're going to find yourself empty real quick. And then the second side of that coin is without sanctification, the devil knows where you're not sanctified. Pastors are dropping like flies. Major pastors drop like flies. Name it. Drug addiction. Pastors smoking meth. Are you kidding me? Well, they're holy and sanctified. Are they? There's areas of their lives. It doesn't mean that they're devils. It doesn't mean that their, their teaching is wrong. It means they're broken, and they haven't reconciled their brokenness. You say, how did they achieve the ministry? Because the devil never invoked it. He let them get up real nice and high. And then he threw down the ace of spades. Anybody ever watch the movie Troy? You ever see the movie Troy? Right? Yeah, come on. Got some fans here, right? I was like, Brad Pitt with his shirt off. Yeah, I saw that movie. <laughs> In the movie Troy, Troy's going uh, 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 to fight Hector, right? Achilles is going to fight Hector. And they're inside of a, 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 it's a temple, but they're inside the room. And Hector's like, fight me now. And Achilles says, why should I fight you now? There's no one here to see you fall. Devil's just like that. Why should I use that now? There's no one here to see you fall. You don't think he sets you up? You don't think sanctification's necessary? Sanctification is incredibly necessary. It's not about accountability groups. The Bible says if you examine yourself, you won't be judged. If you deal with the issues within yourself, you're not going to be judged, right? It's, it's, it's crazy to me what, what's actually going on in our world. Look, we're broken. This doesn't mean people are condemned. It just means it's real, right? This is just real stuff. This is real gospel. This is real kingdom. This is where the kingdom meets our lives, the kingdom is more powerful than your life. The kingdom is supposed to transform your life. I've been a Christian for a long time. <laughs> long time. There's very little that I haven't seen or heard. Very little. And what I, where my heart is always at is why are people in this position? Why are the sons and daughters? What is the lack of capacity? Is Israel a home-born slave, the Lord asks? 
Why are my people bound? Why are my people slaves? Did I call them to be slaves? Did I tell them to be slaves? Was their destiny to be slaves? Then why are they slaves? They forsake the Lord. That's one aspect. Galatians tells us that the heirs, as long as they're children, are no different than slaves. You're heirs, but so long as you're immature and undeveloped. Undeveloped. I didn't say gifted, right? A lot of people, you're gifted. Listen, your gift, say it with me, my gift will manifest far, far sooner than my character will. Oh, yeah. Your gift's going to come out right, right off the bat, but your character is not, your gift comes first. You're going to see your gift, and you're going to think, God, I'm ready. Why am I ready? Because my gift is on the scene. Have you seen me on the stage? I don't even need two turntables and a microphone. I got it. I got it. Right? But their character is lacking. There is no development in the character, in the substance. And so what happens is they get pulled out. The demands are there. There's nothing to draw from. They don't have not cultivated that intimacy into the glory. They don't understand it. They don't know how to draw from the Lord and receive the strength of God, the kratos of God. And because of that, they weak, they're weak, and they faint in the heat of the day. It happens all the time. It doesn't matter. I'm talking about ministry, but it doesn't matter if it's a marriage. It doesn't matter if it's a business. It doesn't matter if it's an individual life. What I'm talking about applies. Learn to draw near. Don't hide your brokenness. Hey, man, you're among friends, right? We're all, we, we here at Elevate, we know we're broken. We know you, but people like, I get people go, y'all are too honest, you know? You know? We're all on a journey. We're not living in our brokenness. We're coming out of it, right? But the first way, anybody here, I don't know if anybody's ever been here to, part of uh, like, uh, 12-step programs or anything like that, right? What's the first thing you got to admit? My name is Kevin and I'm an alcoholic, right? It's not a de- detrimentation of your, of your value and worth. It's an acknowledgement of the brokenness. The first step to the healing of the brokenness is admitting you've got a problem. <laughs> and then finding out where's this problem coming from? This pro- that problem's coming from somewhere. Your problem is not your problem. Say it with me. My problem is not my problem. Right? There's a root underneath your problem. Your problem is just the tree with the branches. There's a deeper root to that problem. And we keep cutting the tree down, and the tree keeps growing back. We cut like an umbrella tree, right? You cut it down. Mickey's like, you got to grind the stump. If you don't grind the stump, you don't deal with the root, that tree's going to keep coming back. It'll come back. I cut down a few umbrella trees in my yard. One branch doesn't come up, four come up, right? So I cut down one umbrella tree, and now there's five more coming up out of the root. And I got to keep cutting down these trees, keep cutting down these trees, because I'm not dealing with the root. Another story, another day. John was raised in this house. He was a son of a priest. He came from God. He emerged on the scene, and he bears witness of the light. The light. He doesn't even say the light. He says the true light right? Jesus isn't a light. He's the light. The light. There's there's three Greek words for light, and Jesus is all of them. He's all of them. There's the word phos or phos. That's where we get the word phosphorus from, right? 
There's the word theos, which is where daylight comes from, and there's phaino, which means firelight. Phosphorus is an essential element to your body. All you health nuts out there, you'll understand what, what, what phosphorus. Phosphorus balances. Phosphorus creates balance within the body. It balances the, 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 the chemicals, the enzymes, the blood. So phosphorus is essential to the body. Jesus is essential. He brings the balance, right? Daylight, we all need daylight. We need to see where we're going. He, Jesus is the daylight, and Jesus is the firelight. He's the passion. He's the fire. He's the warmth. He's the heat. He's the drive of our lives. Say this with me. Nothing of any significance in the history of the world has ever been achieved without passion. You need the firelight of Jesus. He's your passion. Why do I stay with my wife? Because the passion of God tells me so. Why do I be faithful to my children? Because the passion of God tells me so. Why do I work on myself and fix the dysfunctions? Because the passion of God tells me so. It's living. It's not discipline. It's not the static discipline. If that's all you can do is, is, is march like that, but get the passion of God in you and live from him. The phanos, the power of God. Jesus is the light because sin had cast the world into darkness. He's the only way. He's the true light. You say with me, Jesus is perfect theology. Everything that needs to be known about God can be found in the person of Jesus. How many storms did he redirect? Hmm? How many cities did he destroy? How many people did he engulf in fire? Now, there'll be a day, but he didn't do any of that because that's not the mission of God. The mission of God is the rescue mission, the reconciliation to bring his sons and daughters home, to provide a way a man out of the darkness and into light. God's not judging. He's not judging. Sins are, say it with me, God doesn't need to judge. Sin judges. The consequences of sin is the judgment. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he also reaps. Anybody with me? You ever done some things and reap the consequences of it? And you're like, what? Crop failure, Jesus. Crop failure. I sowed the wrong seed. Right? We reap what we sow. If we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption, which is worldliness. If we sow to the ways of the world, we reap corruption. If we sow to the ways of the Spirit, we reap eternal life. We reap the benefits and the activation of eternal life. Preach it. <laughs> There was a light that gives light to every person coming into the world. This, this structure in the Greek is the word to. Say it with me. You guys can say it. You guys want to speak some Greek? Right? To. Ho. Echomai. <laughs> People's like, what'd you call me? To. Ho. Echomai. <laughs> and it, the idea is coming out of and into. So what Jesus is, he's going to contrast two worlds. So the next two verses contrast two worlds. This world he's talking about is his world. He's talking about, I give, say it with me, enlightenment. That's the Greek word. You got all these new agers searching for enlightenment. Jesus gives it away. He says, to everyone who comes out in into, I give enlightenment. The world that he's talking about coming into in this verse, he's talking about coming into his world, and I will grant you enlightenment. I'll show you everything that is, everything that was, and everything that is to come. That's actually the Greek word, is the word enlightenment. He will enlighten you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's born again. When you get born again, it's like somebody turned the light on. You're just like, 
where am I? <laughs> what am I? You don't recognize you. People don't recognize you. You're alive, right? All that stuff happens. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world, and the world did not know him. See, so he's contrasting the world that he brings, the light, enlightenment, and he's contrasting it with this world. The word world means system. Those who come into my system, I enlighten. I came into this system. This system didn't recognize me. This system didn't know me. This is what he's saying. And the world did not know him. He was in the world, and the world did not know him. Enlightenment, illumination comes when you leave. Say it with me. When I leave one cosmos for another. That's what the word word means is cosmos in the Greek. When you come out of worldly thinking and come into heavenly thinking, you begin to think and act like the kingdom, enlightenment comes to you. It's true. The problem is not that Christians aren't born again and saved. The problem is, is that we're corrupted at the level of the mind and the heart. We think no differently than the world. We think in the context of fear. We think in the context of poverty. We think in the context of loss. We're bound unto it. I see it all the time. Born-again Christians, worried about where they're going to get $150. I'm like, really? Who's your father? Who's your daddy? Huh? Who told you you couldn't get $150? Just bound with, with, with poverty thinking, bound with weakness, bound with fear. All the devil's got to do is wave the flag of fear, and there's a whole flock of Christians that just run and hide in caves. Are you bound by fear? The Holy Spirit does not speak fear. Any, say it with me, any decision made in fear is always the wrong one. Always. Spirit of God doesn't speak fear, Christian. He speaks faith. I didn't say you weren't afraid. I didn't say you don't feel afraid. I'm with you. You get afraid and you get freaked out. But I refuse to make a decision in fear. I don't care how much my body's rattling. You know, I will not make a decision in fear. I don't care how many voices are telling me I need to decide now. No, I don't. No, I don't. If it takes me three or four more days to make the right decision, I'm going to take three or four more days, but I'm going to make it in a, in, out of a spirit of grace and rest, and I will not make that decision out of fear and impulse because I know it's going to be wrong. Oh, I might win. You know, I got maybe a 10 or 20% chance that it's the right one, but I got an 80 or 90% chance that it's the wrong one. Yeah, you don't act in fear. You're not bound to it. You need to understand, see again, where's the glory? This is what I just showed you. The weight of God's purpose and goodness is in his presence. When you begin, and through the relationship, when you begin to understand who and what you are, you are not a covenantal people of fear. But the glory of God cannot come to you because you're unsanctified in that area. Huh? Every time the dog barks, you run into the trees. What? You see the difference? Why isn't it happening? Because you, keep it, you are bound by fear. There's a difference between the emotion of fear. Say this, I'm going to help some of you. The devil, he's a liar. He lies and he builds a reality around it. Yeah, but say it. Reality is not true. It's not true. He'll lie to you. He'll tell you you're going broke. And then he'll put a reality around you and show you your bank account and say, see? You're going broke. Nobody loves you. Nobody wants you. Nobody cares about you. 
And then you start going, nobody loves me, nobody wants me, nobody cares about me. Because you are being lied to and you're being reinforced with a reality. Does your Bible tell you that? Who told you you're going broke? Did Jesus tell you you're going broke? Huh? If Jesus didn't tell you you're going broke, you ain't going broke. Then stop acting like it. Stop making covenants and agreements. The devil's trying to manipulate you to make decisions that play right into his hand. That play right into the lie that you believe in the reality that he's put around you. That's what he's doing. And he's going to keep doing it, and he's going to keep owning you until you learn to stop it. We wrestle not against fresh and blood. I was just telling us somebody the other day. That word wrestle, you know what it means in the Greek? Pale. It means to grab by the throat and throw to the ground. We don't grab flesh and blood by the throat and throw it to the ground, but we do grab spirits by the throat and throw them to the ground. See, we think wrestling's a dancing. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's way more violent than that. Not physically violent. You understand this? This is why you, this is, when, when you understand your relationship, I'm not a son of fear. I'm a son of the highest. I have an inheritance, right? Your inheritance is Jehovah Jireh. It means he's going to provide for you. This is important. Inheritance and destiny are different, right? Different. But every Christian has an inheritance. You have an inheritance whether you're faithless or faithful. You do. Thank you, Jesus. Your inheritance is in his name. You have Jesus' name, which means salvation. His promise to you will be fulfilled. If Christ is in you, you've been born again. You're, you're saved. You're born again. Nothing's going to disqualify you. He'll be faithless even if you're faithful. You understand that? Because it's your inheritance. Your inheritance is Jehovah Jireh, which means provision. God will provide. He's going to take care of you. Happy day, you're going to make it after all, but stop making covenants with fear. Father, I need provision. I'm not a son of fear. I refuse to make a, son, I refuse to make a decision in fear. I don't care what you got to do, but you can't do that. And if you keep doing that, then your life is going to be one calamity after another. And chaos will rule and reign because you, the heir, are no different than, ch than a child. You're still sucking your thumb and wearing diapers, and he owns you. The heir, so long as they are a child, are no different than slaves, though they are masters of all. That's why you have to grow up. The glory is in the relationship. The glory is in the intimacy. When you understand who you are and who your father is, things change. And you understand what your inheritance is, things change. Healing's, the, healing's your inheritance. Jehovah Rapha, right? Who told you that? I was in the house. I went to this guy, and I'll just share this with you really quick. I was at, the, where is it? It was at Jesse's wedding, right? Jesse's, Jesse, uh, Jesse's wedding. And so I was, uh, we, we went at the wedding rehearsal, and we're all standing outside, and uh, the lady who runs the farm that they were getting married at is talking, and she's talking about her husband or something like that, and he's not doing any very good. Hey, your husband's not doing very good? And she's like, no, he's not doing very good. And um, I said, what's wrong with him? She told me, I go, hey, do you mind if I go in and pray for him? And, and she's like, no, no, come on in and pray for him. So I go in and I start talking to her and I start talking to the family. The wife's like in total freak out mode. She's just freaking out. She's just completely freaking out. I look at the guy. His name's Phil. I look at him. I said, Phil, you believe in Jesus? He said, yeah. I go, you consider yourself a Christian? He said, I do. And I start talking to him. I start ministering to him, start praying for him. Dude's on like an aqua lung, man. He's got like, like oxygen tanks all around him. And he's like Darth Vader. <laughs> in a chair with his feet up. 
And he's talking about going to the big barbecue in the sky. And I said, who told you you're going to the big barbecue in the sky? Did Jesus tell you that? Pray for that guy. You all were there. Within an hour, the guy's up, oxygen tank is off, and the dude's making milkshakes and giving them to everybody. And his wife's looking at me. She's like, you know, I just hope he's going to be okay. I just hope he's going to be okay. I'm like, he looks like he's doing okay to me. He's got a pitcher of strawberry milkshakes in his hand. You know, he's walking around, hey, everybody want some strawberry milkshake? He had a berry farm. True story. Then after that happened, her brother came to me and said, can Jesus heal backs? <laughs> I go, what's your back problem? He's like, I got chronic back pain. The guy went from like an 11 down to like a 3. And he could touch his toes and the whole thing. Reinforcing the person with who they are. You're a son and daughter of the highest. Healing is your inheritance. Claim it. I don't believe that. I don't believe I wasn't raised that way. Then stay as a child and remain in the slavery of your doctrinal, arrogant, egotistical, man-made thinking. That is not kingdom thinking. His ways are not your ways. His ways are not your denominational ways. They're not. They're not your intellectual ways. His ways are not your ways. His ways are his ways, and they're higher than yours. And we are called to not drive God down and to adapt him into our thinking. We're called to elevate the level of our thinking until we think with the mind of heaven, the mind of Christ, whatever it takes. You're called to press into, say, we press into truth until truth becomes reality. Lord, I'm broke. Deuteronomy 8.18, the Lord your God has given you the capacity to obtain, everybody say it with me, wealth, that you may establish his covenant in the land. Lord, reveal the capacity with the wealth. What are you going to do with it when you do? I'll be faithful. Okay. That's another calling. But Lord, I need provision. Provision is my inheritance. I need a job. Had a guy here counting. I share this story all the time too. You know, he still sends me messages. He needed the job. I said, believe God. I said, believe God. He said, nobody's hiring right now. I said, I believe God that God's going to fire an unbeliever and hire you. <gasps> you know what he did? He began to believe God to fire an unbeliever so that he could get a job. Amen. The bread's for who? You think you're average? Huh? You think you're common? If you think that, wake up. The glory is in the relationship. And you know what happened? He went and interviewed for a job, and the guy goes, man, we just hired this guy three weeks ago, but we think we like you better. And they fired him and gave him a job. Some of you, you don't have the faith for that. You're too nice. You play too nice. That's not fair. I don't think somebody should lose a job just so I could get one. You don't know what favor is. And you don't know who you are. You're above only and not beneath. It's not an ego and arrogant thing. It's a truth thing. The bread belongs to you, not to the unbeliever. I tell people all the time they got kicked out of that job. Maybe now they'll call upon Jesus because they're in need and desperation and they won't be so self-sufficient and egotistical and arrogant. People come to Christ in humility. They don't come to Christ at the top of their game, right? The beachhead of the gospel is in pain. It's in transition or it's in tragedy. That's when people come to Jesus. Nobody, you know, they're not interested when everything's up and to the right. Right? When Instagram's blowing up, you know, and whatever it is that they're doing and, you know, living the lifestyle of their dreams, they don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They want to hear about Jesus when there's pain in their lives. 
That's how man, that's how we are. Because we're narcissists ultimately, right? That's why we call Jesus Lord. We deny ourselves. The root of our sin is our narcissism. Hmm? That's why the gospel tells you to deny yourself because we're self-worshippers. Right? Christians are self-worshippers too. They belong to Jesus, but they worship what they think over what God says. Huh? I tell people they have an inheritance. What do you mean we have an inheritance? How dare you say that of the most glorious and high God? We're just here to occupy until Jesus comes. Be my guest. As for me and my house, we're going a different way. Right? I'm going to eat from the king's table. Right? And you'll see in another world, and you'll see all that you left behind and all that you could have had. Right? Because you, worked, you worshiped at the altar of your own intellect and refused to see what he said. Refused to embrace. Refused to move on by what you felt was comfortable. It's just truth, Christian. It's just truth. God's looking for, to raise up sons and daughters that know who and what they are. Right? Without compromise. When you understand the goodness of God, there's no compromise. You don't even look to anybody else. You look to him. It's your inheritance. He came to his own. His own didn't receive him. John came to the Jew first. Why? Because God had spent centuries equipping these people, or Jesus did. Jesus came to the Jew first because he'd spent centuries equipping them. Centuries. <laughs> they should have recognized him. They did recognize him. The religious leaders recognized him, but they denied him. They denied him to his face. They saw who he was. They knew who he was. They knew what his claims were, and they still denied him, and they crucified him for being God. Many people came to him, but Jesus came to all of them. He came to his people first. It was the Jew first, then the Gentile. Why the Jew first? Are they more special? No, they were more equipped. They were ready. They should have seen Jesus right off the rip. Gentiles have to have this transition, right? The Jews should have seen it. He's the prophetic fulfillment of all that has been, right? He's the desire. He's the hunger. The one that we've heard of all of our lives, here he is, right? Come and let's meet the one that we've been longing for, the one our ancestors have spoke of, Right? Let's meet the fire of the altar. Let's meet the smoke behind the veil. Let's meet the Shekinah. Come and let us meet this one. They denied him. They were equipped to reach the nations. You see Paul do it, right? One, one pharisaical Jew got the message. His name's Paul. And he took the gospel to 70 known nations. One guy you imagine if there would have been more than one Pharisee? There were many Jews that got it, but Paul was a Pharisee. I mean, he was, you talk about religiously equipped? This brother was religiously equipped. One of them. And he took it to the 70 nations. He took the gospel to 70 nations, Paul did. In a lifetime. Now, you see God's intent? But as many as received him, and here you go, and I'm going to finish in five minutes. Five minutes. It's true. It's going to happen, even though this is amazing. <laughs> as many as received him, to them he gave the right. This is so powerful. Everybody say it with me. Pay attention. You should grab your ear and go, Shema. Shema. Say it. Shema. That's right. When God was speaking, the Jews would grab their ear and go, Shema. Listen. Pay attention. Don't go to sleep. Shema. <laughs> But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, those, sons and daughters of God, those who believed on his name. Born not of blood, but nor of the will of the flesh, but of the will of, or the will of man, but of God. Received means lay hold of. Greek word lambado. You don't receive Jesus. I just receive you. You lay hold of him. You grab him. You bind yourself to him. All that I am for all that you are. Right? 
You, 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 those that receive him, those that understand who he is and cling to him with every part of their being. And he gives, he used this word, he gave the right to become. Two Greek words. You're going to say it with me. Come on. Atois, exousia. Anywhere the word exousia exists, it means manifest. Exousia, it's where we get the word exert from, release. It's actually one of the words for the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, exousia, I release the glory of God over you, exousia. It's in the scripture, all over the scripture. He said, I gave the personal right to manifest their identity. That's what he's saying. Exousia, the right to become the sons of God. That's such a weak translation in the English. If you look at it in the Greek, I gave you the personal right to manifest your identity as a daughter of God. I give it to you. You're my son, you're my daughter, and I give you the right to walk it out in fullness, to manifest it. It means nothing. Your identity means nothing unless you manifest it. It's exactly what he's saying. Exousia. Do you guys understand this? You guys are looking at me like I'm from, like, like, like you know. <laughs> right? Don't you want to be who you're created to be? Right? You don't want to be the old you. You don't want to be the religious you. You want to be the new you. You know, when you, who you are in Christ is far better than who you are as you, right? You're better, it's, it's just true. He says, I give them the personal right to release and to manifest, realizing it's out of an authority. It, it, it's also a legal term. You have a legal right to manifest your purpose, a legal right to manifest your destiny, a legal right to manifest your inheritance, a legal right to manifest your, your, who you are in him. It's legal, which means it can't be challenged, the devil challenges you all the time, just like he did Jesus, if you are the son of God. But you don't know who you are, so you can't, well, I just quote him back the Bible. No, but do you really know who you are? I know who I am. I know what I am, right? Do a group, and we were talking about hearing voices. I said, I don't hear any voice. Not one voice speaks to me. Not even my own. Not one voice speaks to me, because I know who I am. The only one who has the authority to speak to me is Jesus. The only spirit that has authority to speak to me is the Holy Spirit. And if a devil wants to speak to me, he better have a good right. And as soon as I know his right, I'm going to pale. I'm going to grab him right by the throat, and I'm going to throw him to the ground. And that right will be gone. Guaranteed. Do you know that? Stick around. I'll teach you. This is a difference. It's a big difference. You're going broke. <laughs> Shut up. You ain't going broke. Don't even come near me. Who, who told me that? What right do you have? You don't have any right with him. Why are you talking? Shut up. You need to stop listening to voices, Christian. That's another story for another day. So here's the last thing. Minute 30 seconds. I'm on time. <laughs> I am. Minute 30 seconds. Been given the right. Lay hold of him in faith. Our job is to believe with expectation. Zechariah wasn't believing with expectation. Zechariah, when he was in the temple, when he mocked God, or he mocked the prophetic word, it was because he was cynical. His faith had become a routine, right? You have to believe God with expectation. That's your job. You have to discover who you are. De say it with me. Discover, develop, and then deploy. That's the process. You have to realize who you are, develop who you are, and then deploy who you are. And the first step is son and daughter. That's the first lesson. What does it mean to be a daughter of the highest? What does it mean to be the daughter of the king? Have, have you ever asked that question? What does it mean to be an heir of this world and the one to come? What does it mean to have a divine inheritance? What does that mean? Have you ever discovered that? 
like what you are and what your responsibilities are as that and what would mean if you lived your life through that? What would, that, what would change? Everything. Learning Jesus' word, this way we do it, learning Jesus' ways, learning to draw near, learning to go forth in servitude, mission, and calling, and learning to bring forth. This is what we're called to do, bring forth, ultimately. Bring forth what? Identity, inheritance, and destiny. Who doesn't want that? Right? Sons and daughters of God. Amen? Amen. All right. Doom, two seconds to spare. We have a prayer team available for all of you that uh, would like to be prayed for. Um, definitely don't, don't forsake that, and we're going to close the service. But I have to ask this question. I'm trying to get away from it, and the Lord's like, go back there. Do you know Jesus? That's the question. Do you know Jesus? Do you know not know of him? Do you know him? Have you ever experienced what it means to be born again? This is what the Bible says. Intellectual belief does not translate into spiritual conversion. We are born again, not of the belief. We are born again of the belief within the heart. Not the belief as it relates to understanding. If you've never received Jesus, today's your day. Not next week, not next year, not tomorrow, not I'll think about it. This is the offer you don't refuse. Any of you out there watching, and I know there are other, you're out there, and you've never given your life to Jesus, and you want to be sure, and you want to be certain. I just did a funeral yesterday. I looked at the whole group. I go, do you want to be sure? Do you want to be sure? So we know where she is. Do you know where you're going? Right? Do you know? Give your life to Christ. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Simple prayer. You don't have to understand it. Just do it. And we'll pray together. Just say this. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? All right, come on. One more prayer of blessing. Prayer team's available. If you need prayer for anything, they will pray for you. Thank you for that. Lord, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. Amen.